Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Preparing for winter's next wave. Everybody's getting tired of the back-to-back events. You know, it's been almost three weeks now we've had active weather going on. How much snow is expected and what's forecast to follow that could bring a new round of headaches. Keeping Omicron out of the classroom. Now we're telling parents, oh, we're going to open the school, but we might have to close. Why teachers say the province isn't doing enough to protect them and their students. And even the prime minister is weighing in on this inappropriate party. And it's a slap in the face. The mile-high mistake that could lead to punishment for these Sunwing passengers. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Southwestern BC is bracing for another blast of winter. The forecast has it all. Heavy snow, wind, freezing rain, and then heavy rain and possible flooding. Ahmad Agahi joins us now live. I'm sure, Ahmad, you're ready to run for the hills after all of that. But at the south end of the Portman Bridge, you've learned there's a lot of preparations going on tonight. Well, and I think concern because it looks like the storm has missed this evening rush hour will shift to tomorrow morning's commute because that's when snowplow operators and main road said at least where we are at the east end of the Portman Bridge on Johnson Hill they're expecting upwards of 20 centimeters of snow to have fallen overnight. Slipped on the snow, he hit the brakes and he went sideways in front of us landed in the ditch and flipped over. The driver of this Highway 1 wreck was okay, but it goes to show just how slick the roads can be even after snow has been cleared. Slow down a little bit, uh, take your time, and uh, make sure when you're changing lanes, you change lanes nice and slow. Those commuting home last night likely had to drive through these conditions. And Wednesday, it might feel like deja vu, only worse. This is going to be, um, you know, a lot of snow in a short period of time. So there's potentials for some, some for some buildup out there. So we're going to be watching it very close. The company the province relies on to keep its main routes functional and safe says it will have crews going through the night, expecting the latest winter storm warning to affect Wednesday evening and even Thursday morning's commutes. With all eyes on the potential ice bomb situation on the Portman and Alex Fraser Bridge. We really encourage customers to build extra time in their commute, to dress warm, and to um, check their route before they go. And to avoid delays, TransLink will use its more agile 40 foot buses, keep trains running overnight to keep its tracks clear, and will have supervisors alerting municipalities of trouble areas on their roads. Well, our main focus after a snowfall is clearing our priority routes, which are our main roads that support emergency vehicles, bus routes, our major bridges. And so we're really working to get those cleared first. And in order to get that done, the city of Vancouver is advising against non-essential driving through the storm. 
Now, the main road general manager who you heard from in that story, he said there's a couple of things he's hoping his crews can relay out to the public. Those who may be driving in the next 12 to 24 hours, they're asking you to give snowplows a lot of room. He said there have been three instances already this winter where someone ha has been trying to pass a snowplow and has collided with the snowplow. Fortunately, no injuries there, but it delays their work. He's asking anyone who's fortunate enough and can to stay home and work from home tomorrow. I should also note the province has mentioned that if the forecast, which is saying freezing rain for tomorrow, if that mixes with wind, then they may close down some of the highways and bridges they have authority over as well. Pays off to pay attention to meteorologist Christy Gordon, who's been watching all of this. Ahmad, thank you very much for that. Uh, timing is an issue here, and it sounds like it's coming in waves. Mm -hmm. Christy, what do we need to know? Well, the first thing that we need to know is that through the evening hours, we're going to see heavy snow pick up. So late evening, overnight hours is when we're going to see the most intense snowfall. So we're talking about 10 to 25 centimeters by the morning hours. But it's not just the snowfall that we're expecting overnight that's a concern. It's also the fact that we're going to see strong outflow winds pick up. So we're talking about gusts up to 60 kilometers an hour from the Fraser Valley through Metro Vancouver. And what we could see is whiteout conditions on the roads, with that intense snowfall, avoid travel altogether. Then, Chris, we're talking about freezing rain and heavy rain. When I come back, I'll detail out the timing of that and why those are big concerns for our region. No doubt. Okay, thanks very much, Christy. Chat later. All right, now to COVID-19 and the latest numbers in our province. We have just shy of 3,800 new cases in the last 24 hours. With nearly 30,000 active cases now, 317 people are in hospital. That's a jump of 19. 83 of those patients are in the ICU, and there have been no additional deaths over the past 24 hours. Uh, yes, hospitalizations taking another jump today. So Keith Baldry is here now with more on that and some of the other trends we're seeing. Keith? Yeah, interesting uh, numbers across the board, uh, Sophie. First of all, our positivity rate remains high, folks. It's about 24% seven-day average, over 25% day. That's where we're seeing big cases, almost 4,000 today, and likely a similar number tomorrow. Hospitalizations, the daily number doesn't really tell the story. 38 people went into hospital yesterday, 19 people came out. So the net increase is 19, but the number of people going into hospital right now is actually much higher than it's been uh, for several weeks. And that's, that's a trend right across the country. And again, the seem to be shorter stays, not leading to too many severe uh, outcomes. Uh, interesting tidbit, almost 370,000 people have yet to get a single dose of vaccine in this province. That's a lot of people. That number is only going down by about 1,000 a day. And those are the people most at risk of getting the severe outcome of this illness because of the 83 in ICU today, more than 50 of them were unvaccinated. So it's about 65 to 75 percent on any given day are unvaccinated people in the ICU. So folks, those 370,000 people go get vaccinated. One positive thing, the five-year age group that has the highest uh, vaccination rate of anyone in the province, this will surprise a lot of people, uh, people age 18 to 24, almost 100% there. So congratulations to a young mm -hmm. demographic who's going out there and getting their shots. Good to hear that. All right, you have some details tonight, Keith, about threats to testing site staff. 
Yeah, it's very disturbing. A statement just released in the last hour by Dr. Bonnie Henry, Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth, and Health Minister Adrian Dick saying they have received reports of healthcare workers at COVID-19 testing centers being intimidated, threatened, and otherwise verbally harassed by some people seeking tests. Incidents of threats and aggressive behavior will be reported to police. Our healthcare workers need a safe and respectful workplace. So again, put on notice if you're going to a testing site, do not intimidate or threaten healthcare staff by in any way at all because the law is clear. You do face uh, potential jail time and fines uh, if you do that. Police presence, I think, will be at some of these test sites in the near future. It's pretty incredible that we need to remind people not to threaten mm -hmm. healthcare staff, but yeah. here we are. All right, thanks for that, Keith. Well, there are plenty of concerns still tonight over the return to school for BC K-12 students on Monday. Bonnie Henry has made it clear that the opening will not be pushed back again. And as Richard Zussman reports, teachers feel not enough has been done to make classrooms safe or to explain what happens if there is an outbreak. Preparing for the worst. We may well see more uh, co more COVID show more kids and staff showing up in in schools with COVID than we than we have before, simply because there's more of it out there. Staff parking lots full this week. Teachers and administrators trying to plan for what is ahead. That plan including the likelihood of functional closures, schools forced to close because there are not enough staff available. Now we're telling parents, well, we're going to open the school, but we might have to close at any minute's notice because, you know, in any given day, if we have too many people gone, then, then we're going to have to shut down. The incubation period with Omicron is shorter, but the transmission is much higher, which has teachers and parents grappling with when it's okay to step inside a school. We already have staff that, that have to, you know, either isolate or are asking themselves, should they isolate after a family member, you know, is exposed or has tested positive for COVID? So already we're playing this numbers game. So what is that number, right? What exactly causes a functional closure? The hope for many in the system was that the province would go further with more enhanced safety measures inside the school system. Instead, the school system going back to those things that they say worked last year managing crowds around staggering start and stop times, really reinforcing the uh, the daily health assessment. That's a really critical, going to be a really critical part of things going forward. Still questions around ventilation, around masks, and a lot of answers that we didn't expect because we thought there would be a, a mass ordering of masks and, you know, some sort of work being done, but that hasn't seemed to be the case so far. The hope from some in the system is the province would provide better masks. Instead, parents are asked to provide a three-layered well-fitting mask or a well-fitting tight medical mask. The province also still grappling with how to use rapid testing in schools and how to notify the public on positive cases. Our school medical health officers, uh, they've been meeting regularly. They were meeting their, you know, they're meeting this week um, to look at what those protocols are going to look like so that we can, uh, with a view to us being able to communicate those out by the end of the week. But no matter what, the province will not be able to identify every COVID case in the system because Omicron is circulating too rapidly. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And mark it on your calendar. Next Monday, January 10th, we're holding another COVID-19 town hall. Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix are going to join us once again to answer your questions. And you can watch it live on BC1 at 7 o'clock. So here's how you can submit your questions. Send them to questions at globalnews.ca and then watch Monday, January 10th and your question might be answered. 
Well, we have reported several times on lengthy ambulance delays in B.C. over the past year. And the new year is not off to a good start, especially for one Vancouver senior citizen who had to wait hours last night for help. Neetu Garcha has the details and what B.C. Emergency Health Services had to say about it. Hey, Bob, I'm, I'm filming now for the, the sleeping bag. The apartment. The apartment. Dismayed and demanding answers, Walter Muller recording this video of his neighbor who took a fall inside his home Tuesday, wondering why it took six hours for paramedics to arrive. He was lucid, he was angry a little bit, he was angry and he, I, you know, he, I don't think he was able to go to the washroom, so in that situation it was a, a very, a very degrading, terrible situation to be in for anybody, any age. They live in Vancouver's Sunset Tower on Harrow Street, just six blocks from St. Paul's Hospital. After hearing Bob yell for help, neighbors rushed over and called 911 at 3.28 p.m. They followed up multiple times. But paramedics didn't arrive until 9.16 p.m. Walter Muller says he understands the system is stretched thin because of COVID-19, staffing shortages and the opioid crisis. But... I didn't think it was to that degree that we were already... that things had broken down to this degree that it would take six hours to be picked up within six blocks of a hospital and have to wait six hours. Okay, Bob. While neighbors were able to get him into the hallway with pillows and a sleeping bag, Muller believes his friend could have died waiting on that floor. And they all felt helpless. For this, he says, there's no excuse. It's a Tuesday evening. It's not, a, it, not as if there were 100 other emergencies going on at the same time. After multiple requests to BC Emergency Health Services for answers on the delay and whether there would be any follow-up with or apology to the patient, Global News did not receive a statement by our broadcast deadline, only confirmation on the timing of the incident. Muller says he's been told by hospital staff his neighbour is stable and has been admitted to St. Paul's Hospital, where he is expected to recover. One of the last memories he's going to have is going to be of that event. But he says there will be long-lasting impacts that could have been avoided this time and should be prevented in the future. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Vancouver. New developments in the case of the fake nurse. She went undetected at one of B.C.'s premier hospitals for a year before she was exposed. The latest on her court case in just over a minute. The wild party on a charter flight to Mexico. And how the passengers could be seriously punished later. And a fresh start for this Syrian soap maker establishing a new life and career in Canada later on the news hour. Right now, though, Vancouver police say their investigation remains active into the woman accused of posing as a nurse at BC Women's Hospital for an entire year. And today, court heard more charges could be coming. Bridget Clarou is already facing two charges in BC, and her lawyer says she intends to plead guilty in Ontario. Ramina Dea has the latest. 50-year-old Bridget Claro appeared via phone from Ontario in Vancouver Provincial Court Wednesday morning. Claro's Ottawa lawyer says she intends to plead guilty on January 14th. To what exactly, we don't know. Claro, a convicted fraudster, is also facing charges in Vancouver for impersonating a nurse at BC Women's Hospital between June 2020 and June 2021. I have no idea what she did. Honestly, I want to know how it happened. Tell me what went wrong. Tell me how you're fixing it. Tell me how it's never going to happen again. 
B.C. Crown has not made a decision to waive charges to Ottawa because of public interest in this case here. Catherine Ford says Vancouver police are investigating a number of assault charges and they continue to gather evidence. We have a number of investigations that are ongoing with women who have come forward to share their stories and share their experiences. Um, we're providing uh, support uh, to those women through our victim services as the investigation is ongoing. Um, it will take some time for those investigations to play out for us to gather all of the evidence that we need to gather to determine whether or not um, we'll be able to lay charges in uh, any of the cases or all of the cases, but um, we're actively investigating a, a number of files. A lawyer for some of the patients says her firm is getting calls on a daily basis, roughly 40 women and counting. Clairou remains in custody in Ottawa. Her next court appearance in Vancouver is February 9th. Romina Dea, Global News. Just ahead, what some see is a radical solution to soaring house prices. We have to take the steps to at least begin committing to stall home prices. The new tax you wouldn't have to pay until after you sell your house. Also tonight, how supply chain issues are hurting the construction industry and ultimately you. A new report is proposing a controversial solution to the problem of growing housing inequity in B.C. Make house prices stall with a new tax. Ted Chernecki has the details, including reaction from critics who say it won't work. There's now $2.44 trillion worth of real estate in B.C., up 22% from a year ago. A new study suggests we're long overdue in taking bold action to stop this price climb with, among other things, a new surtax. And no, it is not a panacea for the problem right now because we have allowed the contagion of unaffordability to grow so much and spread so far that we can't solve this problem tomorrow. But we have to take the steps to at least begin committing to stall home prices. The study suggests homes worth more than a million, and that's 10% Canada-wide, should pay half of 1% tax. It means the owner of a $1.2 million home would pay $400 a year to be paid when the home is sold. So after 10 years, the new tax would be at least $4,000, depending on any further increases in value. A $1.5 million home would cost 1000 a year or 10000 after 10. This to help stall prices. No, this would just make housing more expensive and more scarce. This would do the opposite for housing affordability. If you want to lower the cost of something, make more of it. The study suggests most Canadians owning expensive property are unknowingly part of the problem. I'm in that boat. I just got told by BC Assessment that my home went from 1.7 to $2.2 million over the past year. I got a half million dollars of wealth while I slept. It was 35 years ago when then-Premier Bill van der Zam's government introduced the property transfer tax to help slow home price increases. At the time, the average price in Vancouver was $150,000. It didn't work. But the tax, it's still there, collecting $1.5 to $2 billion a year. And now the tax man might cometh again. The feds are also seriously considering a home equity tax. And that could be in the form of what happens in the states. It could be just a straight up capital gains tax that we see on the sale of secondary homes here in Canada. Or it could be this version of a surtax. Ted Chernecki, Global News. 
Well, whether you're buying a new home or renovating an old one, the supply chain backlog is causing some significant problems. Virtually every trade in every corner of B.C., contractors are experiencing rising costs and often lengthy delays. As Aaron MacArthur reports, a new survey reveals the challenge for the construction industry. At Mainland Plumbing, there's enough cast iron pipe on hand for a few days' worth of work. We probably need more than three times this much for a job. They're short on just about everything. Site managers often wasting hours of their day trying to scrounge whatever they can find to finish their projects. Sometimes there'll be a big shipment of steel pipe, and then the next week or two there'll be a big shipment of plastic pipe. So we just try and grab it as, as much as we can. The construction industry is running full tilt around Metro Vancouver. And while the supply chain has always been a bottleneck, it's been squeezed tighter than anyone can remember. A recent survey done by the Independent Contractors and Businesses Association says 76% of businesses need more time to source materials. And the issue is province-wide. 79% of those surveyed say it's leading to completion delays. 63% say it's leading to increased prices. If you just think of the around affordability for first-time home buyers and for the cost of real estate uh, in most markets in British Columbia, um, this is another factor that will be adding upward pressure onto the cost of homes. The issue is so acute now, it's being ranked as just as big a problem as the labor shortage. For a company like Mainland Plumbing, the solution is pre-ordering months ahead of time. But the problem stretches right to the source of the supply chain. Some manufacturers facing their own labor issues have stopped taking orders because they don't know when they can fulfill them. It's pretty frustrating for the client. they got to understand, you know, we're trying our best. It's kind of hard times for, for us plumbers here. I'm sure a lot of other tradespeople as well. Projects are still going ahead. 2022 expected to be another boom year in the construction industry, but one full of challenges. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Up next, a word of warning from one of Vancouver's most notable chefs. It was like a punch in the stomach. Why John Bishop is closing his famous restaurant once and for all. And a cancer patient left in limbo by a health system struggling to take care of everyone. Good evening. It's just some winter maintenance slowing down traffic a bit at the Portman Bridge. The HOV lane is blocked both ways, so anticipate some minor backups if this is your regular route. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. The city of Vancouver's new ban on plastic bags and fees for single-use cups and paper bags was launched to help the environment, but it seems to be hurting one segment of the population, the homeless. As Jordan Armstrong reports, those who struggle to pay for food say they simply can't afford the extra expense. I have a travel mug, but so far McDonald's hasn't been willing to use it. Stanley Woodvine is preparing for another night in the cold. Homeless for years, he says Vancouver's new fees for single-use cups and paper bags have made life more stressful and expensive. More weird bureaucratic decisions, more price increases, 
more things you just have to deal with. For example, he says less than a week into Vancouver's new policy, the homeless are being told prepaid McDonald's meal vouchers issued by shelters don't include the cup. And I heard person after person come in with those vouchers and hand them over and be told that they had to pay a quarter for the cup for the coffee. The city's new rules dictate businesses charge a minimum 25 cents per disposable cup and 15 cents per paper bag. I believe that they didn't get a beverage. We went to the Golden Arches and found there was no escape from getting dinged. Do you accept reusable cups? Uh, at the moment, we don't have those yet. Maybe next month. Okay, do you charge for cups though? We do charge for cups. So for two coffees and two cheeseburgers, we were charged an additional 65 cents. Not insignificant for someone who's homeless. And Woodvine says, like the bag we received, the city's policy is full of holes. They were told that homeless people and disadvantaged people would be impacted negatively. That's something that's just been brought to our attention and we understand why that's an issue and so staff are looking at that now. It should be noted the fees don't go to the city. It is up to businesses to supposedly reinvest the money into green initiatives. A McDonald's spokesperson said they're fine-tuning a response and will have more to say Thursday. Woodvine doesn't blame the fast food chain, he blames the city. What is it that they really believe that this will accomplish? Because the money from this fee is going direct staying into the pockets of the businesses. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. BC MLA Karen Kirkpatrick has revealed she's battling breast cancer and is crediting the discovery of the cancer to an annual checkup reminder. In a series of tweets, the member for West Vancouver Capilano says she always receives a reminder to book her annual mammogram and usually ignores it, but this year, in the spirit of better self-care, she decided to book right away. Kirkpatrick says she was diagnosed back in November and underwent surgery December 30th. She's encouraging everyone to book their mammograms as soon as they receive their reminder letters because early detection is key. For me, I just thought, well, I, I'm going to talk about it because it will make people more comfortable and it will give them a, a better idea of, of what it is. Um, so, yeah, it was different, though, when it's you. Again, you just always really think this is something that happens to somebody else and it doesn't happen in my family and it certainly doesn't happen to me. Kirkpatrick's diagnosis comes weeks after Premier John Horgan revealed his battle with throat cancer and follow-up treatment. In November, Richmond, Queensboro MLA, Amon Singh, went public about treatment for his colon cancer diagnosis, too. Well, the mother of a young Kamloops-area man who suffered a life-altering brain injury in a 2016 beating says the justice system has let her family down again, even as she's preparing to move her son back home after years in assisted living. John Hua reports. This is a lift for Jesse to assist him to get out of bed. Sue Simpson says it has all the features of a hospital room, combined with the unmistakable warmth of their Savannah home. This was donated by a, a lady in Vancouver, actually. Her hope is with just a few more final touches, she'll be ready to welcome back her son Jesse on weekends, starting this March. I didn't think Jesse would ever come home. I sat here when he got hurt and I cried. And I thought, my son's never going to come home. For this mother, it will be a monumental achievement years in the making. After she says Jesse lost any chance at an ordinary life, 
back in June of 2016. Basically left for dead in a puddle of blood. Uh, his skull cap smashed, unsavable. A stroke. He was suffered a stroke. The then 17-year-old was out celebrating the end of the school year when he became separated from friends and wandered into Christopher Tycreeb's yard. Believing Simpson was a thief, he brutally assaulted the teen with a bat. Hey, Jesse, I love you with all my heart. Simpson spent ten and a half months in a coma and suffered catastrophic brain damage. He now requires 24-hour care in an assisted living facility. It's not fair to him. I mean, he, he should be living his life right now, and he should be out with his friends, and he should be at work right now. In truth, the thought of bringing her son back home is somewhat bittersweet. Ty Creeb was charged with aggravated assault and sentenced to seven years but spent just under five behind bars. This man is violent. He's attacked my son. He has left him in a wheelchair with catastrophic brain injury, and he's done two-thirds of a sentence and is now able to walk freely. For now, the focus is on the strength Jesse has shown to be able to come home. But this mother says her fight for justice is far from over. John Hua, Global News. Up next, when please remain seated is completely ignored. We have new one, 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 five, The charter flight from Montreal that feels like a slap in the face to anyone abiding by COVID guidelines. And bye-bye to bishops, this time for real. Why the famed restaurateur is closing for good. Well, a lot of Canadians were outraged by the actions of several dozen passengers on a Montreal to Mexico flight. And now even the prime minister is weighing in. The group was heading to Cancun for a New Year's Eve party and started the celebrations prematurely. Now, as Global's Mike Armstrong reports, they might have a tough time returning home. We have new one, 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 five, They got the party they were after, but the after party has been a problem. It was sold as a six-night, all-inclusive trip to Cancun. The advertising included the promise of a private plane with DJ. Organizers chartered a flight with the airline Sunwing, and it turned into basically a free-for-all. No masks, drinking out of bottles, vaping. It got so rowdy, there were reports the flight attendants had to hide in the back of the plane. These three passengers posted an apology on Instagram Wednesday saying they didn't expect the flight to degenerate the way it did, that it was unacceptable, and that they weren't involved. Now, the group did make it to Cancun, but when videos started hitting social media, they hit the news, and Sunwing cancelled the group's return flight scheduled for Thursday. Global News has obtained an internal email the company sent to employees. It says it notified Transport Canada of the group's unruly behaviour. Well, they weren't the only ones. The federal transport minister called for an investigation. I'm extremely frustrated. And Wednesday, the prime minister promised it will happen. It's a slap in the face to see people putting themselves, putting their fellow citizens, putting uh, airline workers at risk by being completely irresponsible. The trip's organizer is James William Awad. Originally, in tweets that have now been deleted, he said the trip was a success. He's now saying he takes the matter very seriously and is rethinking what happened. Well, they're also having to rethink how to get home. Both Air Canada and Air Transat say they won't fly members of the group back to Canada. 
The other concern for the influencers on the flight is the damage to their reputations, self-inflicted. The worst is that it's actually those people who actually put those images themselves on social media. There is also another problem, potential penalties for their behavior. Transport Canada can fine people up to $5,000 for each offense. Mike Armstrong, Global News, Montreal. Well, as we uh, bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon to talk about the snow that's headed our way, let me just mention that UBC has now tweeted that it is cancelling classes tomorrow at its campus in Vancouver because of the snow uh, that's in the forecast. And Vancouver Coastal Health has also advised that they are shutting down their COVID test site in Squamish tomorrow because of the um, adverse conditions that are expected. So, Christy, a lot of people are preparing for this uh, and it's headed our way. It's on Vancouver Island right now. It is. I mean, I wanted to show you actually this image from the Courtney area, and this is just one of them. It's really all across Vancouver Island right now. Heavy snow coming down, and as we talked about earlier, we're talking about 10 to 25 centimeters of snow by the early morning hours. Here's a look at it starting to push in. Metro Vancouver, we will see it develop any minute now, and then the heaviest will be late evening and overnight. This is tomorrow morning around 7 a.m. You can see we still have some pockets of snow in the forecast, but the pink indicates that risk of freezing rain. So this is when we're transitioning to rainfall as the temperatures warm up. All of these areas have a risk of freezing rain. So overnight for the west coast of Vancouver Island and the inland sections of Vancouver Island and lower mainland, a risk of freezing rain tomorrow morning. Avoid non-essential travel tomorrow morning because of the snow on the ground as well as the risk of freezing rain. And then that system continues to shift, bringing tons of snow into the interior. We're talking about 10 to 25 centimeters for there. But pointing out the south coast once again, we're talking about heavy rain now for late afternoon towards the evening hours. So you can imagine all of that heavy rain. We're talking about 40 to 70 millimeters coming down on the snow that's already fallen, as well as the addition of the moisture. So pooling water on the roads is a concern and localized flooding. Again, that's late tomorrow with that heavy rain. In the meantime, snowfall up to 40 centimeters for the mountain passes across southern BC centimeters and this is through overnight tonight and through the day tomorrow you'll see that meanwhile cold conditions continuing through the north we're talking about wind chills down to minus 50 tonight again third night in the row for northern regions tomorrow again heaviest snow overnight tomorrow morning that risk of freezing rain heavy rain expected late in the day tomorrow with the potential for some significant snow melt and then friday a much lighter day in the forecast with some breaks of blue sky and just a chance of showers tonight central windows weather window comes to you from eastern sections because we're talking about so much snow here across the south coast and they've had a ton of it and there's more on the way for the next 24 hours this is inferny almost up to the flagpole pretty soon Mm -hmm. all right thanks very much christy well one of vancouver's best known fine dining restaurants has closed its doors forever after more than 36 years Bishop's served its last meal on New Year's Eve. As Grace Key reports, restaurant owner John Bishop says after two years of successfully navigating the pandemic, a massive rent increase proved to be the final straw. I bought these um, from the Swiss Pavilion. They were made in Switzerland. And... uh, after Expo. John Bishop is boxing up 36 years of memories with his wife Teresa at his side, and it's not easy. Making a lot of progress, Teresa. Um, yeah. I don't feel like I am. 
No, it's looking good. I, I feel like I'm being buried. You're being buried. Alive. Yeah. Bishops on West 4th is shutting down for good with everything going up for auction. It wasn't the pandemic that finally caught up with them. It was the skyrocketing rent. I just couldn't see it giving them what amounted to $200,000 this year in, in, in rent um, at a time in a business that's very vulnerable, uh, fragile at best. New landlords want almost triple the rent, and they remeasured the space, tacking on another 300 square feet at $100 a square foot, plus taxes, maintenance, and licensing. It was like a punch in the stomach. And the fact that there was no flexibility in any way. And the beautiful chairs are going to be gone too. These are made in Italy. They're quite beautiful, leather Bishop's wasn't just exceptional food, everything exuded quality, from Swiss-made cream and sugar sets to silver candle holders from Burke's, and people felt like honoured guests. But that may be a bygone era. Bishop says Vancouver isn't just an expensive place to live, it's an expensive place to do business, and he worries about the industry. It's getting harder and harder to put uh, linen on a table, uh, nice cutlery, glassware, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe takeout is going to take over. Who knows? I don't know. An auction preview at the restaurant is set for Friday, January 21st. Able Auctions will hold an online auction the next day. So many stories. Grace Key, Global News. All right, Squire is here now. We have some more Canucks COVID news. Oh, there. I know. Yes, the uh, Canucks didn't practice today, but... They did announce another player going into COVID protocol. This time it's Elias Pedersen who will be off for a while. Hopefully he's got a mild taste of it. But the, all we know right now is Petey is in protocol. Also tonight, a clean break from a brutal past. How a Syrian soap maker has found a new life for his family here in Canada. Squires here with sports. Looks like uh, me and Petey have something in common. Hey, Squire? Well, you're back to work. He's not yet. That's true. He's just well. going in. Uh, the uh, Canucks announced this afternoon that they have placed Elias Pettersson into COVID protocol. The Canucks did not practice today. But you can uh, pretty much assume this means he won't play Saturday against Ottawa. And who knows beyond that? The Canucks have not added anything more like how he's feeling or any other details. So we'll have to wait and see. Well, yesterday we heard about how Quinn Hughes has improved his defensive game this year, and now another defenseman on the Canucks is going to get some love. Someone who helps Hughes out by playing a steady game and providing some protection. Luke Shen, who lately has been playing some big minutes, uh, he just got back, in fact, from COVID protocol. Well, I, you know what? Uh, I think Luke is <laughs> not only a great person, but he... he plays within himself, which is really important. And I'm sure that's what John Cooper strived uh, with him um, when he was in Tampa. Uh, a lot of times he was the seventh defenseman, only played 10, 12 minutes a game, but he did those 12 minutes as well as, as anyone. And uh, I look at him now, he's playing 20 minutes a game and he's doing the same thing for us. 
Well, the uh, Abbotsford Canucks have uh, four straight against Bakersfield. They were supposed to play tonight. They moved that game to tomorrow. So tomorrow, Friday, Sunday, and Monday, they are only allowed 50% capacity in Abbotsford. Staying with the COVID theme, Alfonso Davies is down with COVID. He's quarantining at his home in Germany. He's doing well, it is said. Hopefully he'll be good to go for Canada's next three World Cup qualifying games, which are Jan 27th, the 30th, and February 2nd. Well, we've all had to do our uh, best at driving recently in snow and ice, but if you need some tips on how to drive in those conditions, you might want to talk to Justin Cripps. The man from Summerland is still one of the top drivers in the world, no matter what bobsleigh you put him in. Silver medalist back in 2017. Oh. Doesn't matter if he's piloting a two-man or a four-man bobsleigh, Justin Cripps always seems to be in the medal hunt. A little over a month out from the Olympics, Cripps is running hot in both sleds. Just prior to the Christmas break, he delivered podium finishes in both sleds and now has five combined podium placings this season. This is a bronze medal for yeah. Team Cripps. It was awesome to come out with some good results, especially at the end there. Um, I had a couple crashes in training um, in the last two World Cups. And, you know, it always beats you up a little bit and kind of drops your confidence. Um but, you know, I was able to go into the races and, and let the sled fly and go for the fast lines and, and uh, end up on the podium. So really happy about that and, and happy about the momentum we're building up here. The exciting part of this momentum build is Cripps is doing it in both sleds. The reigning gold medalist in the two-man sleigh has worked hard on being just as fast in the bigger four-man bobsled. And it's not quite as simple as just hopping into the heavier four-man sleigh and pointing it down the hill. The two-man is like a, a race car and it's super responsive like a race car. But your four-man is like a, like a water truck. It's kind of top-heavy and there's a lot of weight in the back, but it goes faster than your race car. So it, it's pretty tricky to control. And if you get offline in the two-man, you just fix it. It's not too difficult. But the four-man, you have so much momentum tipping in either direction. It's really hard to get it back online. And then on top of that, to really have a winning team, you just have all those extra moving parts of extra people jumping into the sled and having to fit properly and sit well. Um, it's just, you know, adds a whole new dimension to that discipline. The other dimension Cripps has added to his game is dialing down the adrenaline rush of his sport. Yoga and meditation playing a major part of Justin's sledding success. Positive mindset, mindfulness and meditation, it's a huge part of, of my preparation, my routine and, and who I, I am as an athlete, really. Jay Janower. Global Sports. Novak Djokovic, or as some are referring to him rather cheekily, Novak's Djokovic, had his uh, visa for Australia denied after initially being given a medical exemption to play in the Aussie Open despite not being vaccinated. But border authorities at the airport in Melbourne detained him, questioned him, took his visa away and said it wasn't good enough, wasn't properly done to enter the country. He is free to appeal the decision, though, but can't come in unless he wins that appeal. The uh, tournament is scheduled to start on January 17th. I didn't say this. Welcome back. Good to see you back. Thank you very much, Squire. All right. It was good to be back. Up next, the Syrian soap maker making a fresh start in Canada. Stay with us.
Calgary family is celebrating a major milestone in their lives tonight. They are refugees from Syria and now officially new Canadians. As Global's Gil Tucker reports, not only have they rebuilt their lives here, they've also rebuilt a business that has managed to survive and thrive during a pandemic. It's a huge day for me and for my family. Putting up the maple leaf, all part of the celebration after a very special ceremony. I will be faithful. COVID means it happens via Zoom. So the Sabuni family officially became Canadians at home Wednesday. I'm so proud and so grateful I got the citizenship. A big step forward in a tough journey. This is coconut oil. Abdul Fattah Sabuni set up his soap company, Aleppo Savon, after coming to Calgary as a refugee. Carrying on a family tradition that goes back 130 years in Syria. My family last name is Sabuni, which means the soap maker. Forced to shut down his factory and flee the fighting. I lost everything in the war. Gradually rebuilding the business here. And then COVID hit. The pandemic, it's uh, so hard. Surviving by selling online to customers all over North America and getting the soap into supermarkets around Alberta. Most of the people uh, love to support local business. As a Canadian citizen. This country gave us hope after everything that we've been through. And we love this nation. The family's donating proceeds from sales of this soap to the Canadian Red Cross to support its work helping refugees. To give uh, back a little bit, you know, same to Canada. Canada give me everything, and my kids now, they have a future. Gil Tucker, Global News. Just love stories like that okay um the weather story not so much with a lot being thrown at us over the next 36 hours christy's got the details before we sign off here well, we have yet to see reports of it in the Lower Mainland, but it will happen in not too long. Intense uh, snow expected late this evening and overnight, along with gusty winds. So whiteout conditions and not great for travel, that's for sure. And then tomorrow morning, we have that risk of freezing rain. Avoid travel tomorrow morning as well. And then later in the day, heavy rain. As a lot of that snow melts, we could see a significant amount of water on the low-lying areas, so pooling water on the roads. So it could be a tough commute home also. Mm-hmm. When does summer start? (laughs) Won't be long now. (laughs) After the pandemic ends. (laughs) Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.